you would take your Bibles, turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> we're, get, we're doing kind of a, a series within a series a little bit. It's all part of the walking in community, but we're also talking about just walking across the room, and we're going to talk about this, just this, well, not so pleasant Christian discipline and word called personal evangelism. Now, before we get too far into it, for some, you hear that word and it just sends terror and tremors up your spine because you begin to think, ah, great, what program is pastor going to push on us or what gimmick are we going to use to share our faith and kind of manipulate somebody who's far from God into a relationship with God? Well, take a deep breath and just relax. If it was me, I'd probably call this, and I can call it this, evangelism for scaredy cats. <laughs> but there is a sense of, we've got to talk to people. We've got to be able to share the, the greatest gift that we've ever received. So this, this next four weeks that we do together, hopefully, really won't be anything like you've ever read, seen, or heard concerning the topic of personal evangelism. There's going to be absolutely no pressure or formulas that we push. There's no scripts that you're going to have to rehearse, no quizzes, tests, or on-the-spot demands for huge chunks of memorized information you're going to have to take in and then dump on somebody. There's no door-to-door sales pitch. You're not going to have to go door-to-door. So don't worry about that. I'm not the kind of person that would do that anyway. People come to my door, I hope I know you, otherwise I may not answer. Because I just, I don't, I don't like that kind of stuff. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong, I'm just saying it's not for me. We all have different gifts, obviously. This is going to be different. A little paradigm shift in how we discover to really reach out and touch people for Jesus Christ. Because I believe this and I've been trying to work on it and live it out of my life for the last year, that really evangelism can be as simple as taking a few steps across the room, across the street, across the cubicle, to just simply engage somebody. Let me ask you, can you do that? Can you do that? Yeah, 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 you can do that. We can do that, and we can grow in it together. So we're going to explain kind of this walk across the room imagery. But I want to introduce you to the speaker, or actually, excuse me, the, the, the author of the book that we're going to be reading in our growth groups together that's going to take us through this. It's a great read. I've already read a good portion of it, and it's very enjoyable. His name is Pastor Bill Hybels. He's a, a, a man that has He's a blessing to the kingdom of God and to pastors. And he's been an incredible blessing to me in terms of focusing on the importance of leadership as a pastor. And he's just pastors this little church outside of Chicago of about 18,000 people. And, uh, but I want to introduce you to him as he kind of gets us into this series. And some of the things that I'm going to be sharing in the next four weeks really come and are distilled out of his sharing on this subject. So if you would watch this, Pastor Bill Hybels. A lot of people I talk to get all freaked out when they hear the word evangelism. They think they have to master this massive amount of apologetic information. They think they have to have a different personality than God gave them. They think that uh, it's just some formidable challenge that they could never rise to. And so often I find that it's the, the short, 
rather accessible little steps or walks or deeds that you do. It's not giving long speeches. It's mostly about friendship. It's not backing someone into a corner. It's just kind of pointing to Christ in ways that are natural for you. And I think if more people would do just the small thing that they can do, take a walk here, stretch out an arm here, say a word here, live your faith every day in a humble and kind of genuine way, I think a lot of people would find that they would be uh, touching a lot more lives than they think. Did you catch that, the gist of what he was saying? If we just do the small things that we can do, if we're just natural, if we're just humble, stretch out a hand, reach out an, an arm, guess what? Well, we probably see greater results in our ability to touch and to impact people's lives for Jesus. Now listen, if you're a Christ follower, isn't this essentially what you want to do? Don't you believe that this is part of the reason why God brought you into a relationship? That we are to touch people who are distant or far from God? This, this just walk across the room metaphor is going to serve as the key concept and the foundation, not only in the book, for the talks that we're going to be going through in the next few weeks. That we would learn to be people, every one of us, who walk across the room. Now, you're going to read this story this week, if you haven't already, and you're going to read about an African-American Muslim man who was in a group, in a room, in a social setting, but he was off by himself. And there was a group over here, and one gentleman who was a Christ follower was part of it. And all of a sudden, he had this sense, this prompting, that he needed to extricate himself from the group that he was in to go talk to this man who basically was uh, borderline ostracized, but definitely all by himself in the midst of this social setting. And he literally walked over there, extended his hand, and just began to open conversation with him. Now, what's powerful and what you're going to read as as, as, uh, Pastor Hybels tells this story, writes about it, is that This man didn't go over there to give him the four spiritual laws or the four spiritual flaws of his life. He went over there just to be a friend. And he goes on to tell the story of how just because of the connection over the next weeks and months, he began to meet with this man over coffee. You know what he did? He just asked about, got to know him, asked about his life. He asked about, tell me about your Muslim faith. What are the distinctives? Never once did he ever try and just download all of his Christianese and Christianity on him. He just simply embraced him, engaged him, talked to him, and listened. And then one day it come out. He says, how come, why, how come you haven't tried to convert me? And he said, I just want to get to know you first. And over time, he found out in his story that this, this man actually grew up in a Christian home, but he was tired of the hypocrisy and, and the... Uh, the racial uh, injustices that took place in the Christian church, and that's what caused him to move toward the Muslim faith. But by the end of this time that they built this relationship, this man actually came back to Christ and made a, renewed his commitment to his relationship with Christ. You know, it's interesting. It took time. It took energy. It took emotional and spiritual horsepower, I'm sure, to continue on at times, to make the time to meet with him. But that man would say... It was worth it. It was worth it to make a difference. 
How many of you took the pop quiz on the back of the bulletin today in my column? Anybody do that? Okay, a couple of you did. You know, the, the, the question was, what was the most memorable gift that made a lasting impact on your life? Well, I want to tell you, I've received some incredible, wonderful gifts in my life. But I want to tell you about one that came to me in 1988. Prior to receiving my creature, uh, my, my teaching credential in Manteca where I was starting a church, I used to substitute teach. And I was blessed to be able to have long-term assignments where I would fill in for teachers who were on maternity leave, who were on for sick leave, or literally a couple of them who broke down literally. And my assignments would come anywhere from a month to eight months. And I would go into all these different settings. Well, 1988, I went into this unique classroom. For three months in November of 88, guess what? I got to do kindergarten. (laughs) What what a cool thing. Circle time, story time, snack time. It was great. And and, and as as most teachers understand, I got to go in November, which means something very important. We're heading into December, which means two-week vacation. But you also get all of the kids coming in with gifts and goodies and toys and trinkets. And they kind of make this processional up to the teacher's desk, set them down. And by the end of the day, for a few days, you just have this mound of wonderful things. Well, with, with kindergartners, I'm kind of embarrassed when people give me gifts. So I, it's kind of uncomfortable. I've just never been good at it, getting better. But with the kindergartners, you know, uh, they'd come in and, and I would actually take them behind the cubicle into my little desk area, and I'd sit down with them, and they'd give me their gift, and I'd open it up, and I'd go, you know, oh, whoa, this is the coolest cup I've ever got. There'd be 20 others over there, but this is, this is the cool one, you know, and, or this box of candy. That's my favorite. And I would just, you know, and I'd just make it a big deal with them and give them a hug and, and thank you. Well, during the week, I saw this, just this cute little girl. Her name was Kristen. And uh, she was kind of disheveled and everything. But she was off to the side, and I just noticed her watching as I would bring kids in. And a day later, she'd come up to me, and she goes, Mr. Riley, I don't have any gifts to give you. And it didn't surprise me because I knew that she'd come from a single home with her mama. And she just, you know, she, you could tell that there probably wasn't a lot of economic resources there. So I said, honey, that's all right. I got lots of gifts. I just so much appreciate your thought that you would be willing to, to, to think of me, to give me something. So she just kind of ran off like a little kindergartner. And then the last couple of days, say, you know, kids would come in. I'd take it behind the desk. The last day of school, before uh, we broke, all of a sudden I saw Kristen over there kind of with a big smile, sitting, standing there with a, something behind her back. And she comes up to me with a big grin and she goes, Mr. Riley, I got a gift for you. I said, honey, you didn't have to do that. And uh, so she goes and she hands me this little envelope right here. So I got this envelope and I'm looking at it. And I says, well, honey, let's, let's, go, behind the, let's go behind my cubicle. And let's go back to my desk and we sat down. So I sat there and I was really excited about it. And, and I begin to look at it. And this is what it says on the front. It's dated December 14, 1989. It says, return immediately to San Joaquin County Human Services Agency, Stockton, California. It's a welfare check envelope. I open it up. Big eyes. Whoa. This is a little 
slip from a check register with a little scribble on it. Here's a deposit slip that's just a carbon deposit slip in it. And I had this little notepad with some color crayon scribble and writing on it, little pictures. And then I found this big thing, how to play triple deal lottery. (laughs) So I'm just all jacked up over this, you know. But this is what she gives me, and I just, wow, thank you. See, why is that gift so memorable? Because she so much wanted to give me something. So she gave out of, well, what she had, which was really very little. And it so moved me. I re- uh, of all the gifts, this is probably one of the most memorable I've ever received because it came out of relationship and heart. When I think about that, I go, God, the gift you gave me is so much greater, but it is so memorable because it's been imprinted on my heart because I am imprinted on your hands and your life. And I'm so thankful for the gift that God has given me. See, the same is true with the greatest gift that every one of us has received for those of us who walk with Jesus Christ. We have received the greatest gift ever. Oh, it's bigger than the biggest present up here. It's greater than the greatest gift you've ever received because it marks your life for eternity. Tell me. Just like I want to share and tell that story of that gift that was so momentous to me. Why wouldn't we want to share with other people the greatest gift? that we've ever received. That we would want to tell people, this is what I have. It's free, but it's not cheap. And and you can receive it. See, when we synthesize and distill everything down, the most effective evangelism, way to reach people for Jesus Christ, is that you and I live with an ongoing, growing awareness, and we're constantly on watch for ways to be able to communicate about and give away this simple gift. That in every situation and setting that we would walk into, we, have an, uh, we, we live it with an eye and a heart for those who need God. And that we begin to see ourselves as great gift bearers into another person's life. And I want to tell you, loved ones, that as we begin to do that, you will begin to Grow in your awareness and your ability to do that because you'll begin to see the openness of the people around you. And my heart, my trust is, is this is something that you desire as an individual and that we're going to desire it as a church because this is the primary reason, loved ones, we exist, plain and simple. God leaves us here so that we can touch people for Jesus Christ. That's the only reason. Because the only thing we have to look forward to from here on out is eternity. And what are we giving our lives to? And God's going to call us to learn and to grow, to move us from some circles of comfort and reach out to the person who needs hope and the gift of Jesus Christ. I love Creekside. There's no place I'd rather be. And, and I love pastoring the six or 700 people that call Creekside their home. But I've got to tell you, we've got to continue to contend and say we want to see people come to Christ. Not so we can just become a bigger church, but so, so the kingdom of God can expand and we can begin to touch people and we begin to see people's eternal addresses change from heaven, excuse me, from hell to heaven. 
And you and I are a part of that. We become his hands extended to the community and to the people around us. So let's, let's go back to this kind of walk across the room idea. And I want to talk about how it unfolds. How do we become great giving people, great gift giving people of the greatest gift that we'll ever know? Well, the first thing we got to do is enter the zone of the unknown. Enters the zone of the unknown. Second Corinthians chapter 5 Paul writes to the church of Corinth and he begins to talk about how we as as, as Christ followers look forward to this day where guess what? We're going to have this heavenly body. But for now, we're going to use this heavenly body, this tent that God's given us for his glory and for his purposes. It says in verse 7, it says, "We, we we live by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. That's our, whole, that's our whole existence down here, loved ones, is that as we go, that we don't live uh, solely by what we see, but we live by what we know. And sometimes, though, we live too much by what we see, and it causes us to live boldless, non-courageous lives. And we want to talk about that in the next few weeks. But in verse 16, it says, So, From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. We see people as God does, not as we see him here. It doesn't matter how bad, how difficult, how cantankerous, how whatever they are, guess what? We're going to see him as Jesus sees him. And Jesus sees every person as an eternal soul that has the life of Jesus inscribed upon them and that we get to be able to see that and move them toward that. So he says, therefore, in verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. All this is from God. Listen, all this is from Father God who reconciled himself to us through Christ. That's why Jesus came. He came to establish a ministry of reconciliation to reconcile you and I to our heavenly Father God. And he says, all of this is from God. And then he gave you and I, guess what? The ministry of reconciliation. So that even as Jesus come to reconcile us to the Father, now we have a call to be reconcilers, ministry, ministers of reconciliation for people to the Father. Well, how do we do that? Well, for a lot of us, we've got to learn to enter the zone of the unknown. I want you to, I'm going to show you a few images. Consider what one Christ follower would be like in a social setting, standing in what we would probably call a conversational circle of comfort. It's the place with people that it's easy to relate to, people we hang with. Some of you came this morning, you walked in, and you quickly found your circle of comfort. People you know, people you've conversed with, people you can just quickly move toward. And most of our orientation as people is to, well, continue in those circles of comfort and to live in them and to stay in them. You've been there, right? Well, in this next slide, and this is what we're going to learn about is you've got the group, but it takes somebody, as the story that Pastor Hybels tells in his book, one person maybe to move away from that circle of comfort to notice the person outside of the circle and say, or be open to hearing the voice of the Lord to say, wow, I see them. I notice them. 
And pretty soon you begin to extricate yourself from that circle of comfort and you'll walk across the room. Hi, I'm Terry. What's your name? And you begin to engage them, not with some kind of spiritual religious talk, but just, hey, how you doing? Excuse me, I'm going to leave this group and go over to this person. I just, this happened to me a few weeks ago. I've talked to staff and I said, we're going to, you know, we're going to be out there. We've been talking, we've been doing this for a while. And one of the things we're doing is chamber mixture because we're part of the chamber, chamber of commerce. So we go, the last one we went to in January, it was in a home. And it was, it was like the largest group I've ever seen at a chamber mixer. And we're like, you know, hello, how are you? And, and we, just, we couldn't hardly move. So it wasn't like I could sit there and go, okay, Lord, I, I want to walk across the room because it was like I just take one step and I got somebody right there in my face. But I just said, Lord, I, I just want to just meet a couple of people tonight. And, and there was no sense of, okay, Terry, go over here. But I just met a couple of people, got their names, and they found, oh, Terry, a past, oh, pastor. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, and, and what, that, was, that was just one of the conversations. The other one is you know, they were pretty open and they were very nice and said things. Yeah, we've heard a lot about Creekside. So, but that's what happens. But, but we have to go into those situations. And I had to kind of just step away from the comfort of a few other Creeksiders there long enough to do that. Nothing happened other than I introduced myself to a couple of people. That's how it starts. We walk across, as you see in the next one. You move. And you know what? You probably do this. This is what I do. I'll just admit it. I, as I'm walking, oh, Jesus, give me the right words. Help me to be bold and courageous. Not cocky, but just to be open. Amen. Hi, I'm Terry. How you doing? Have you ever been there? I believe this is where God is going to do his best work, friends. It's when we say, I'm going to, I'm going to get beyond myself. I'm going to grow outside of myself, and I'm going to reach out to people. And I can't wait, because I hear Creeksiders calling me quite often now, saying, Pastor, you won't believe. I, I just got to share with this person. People email me. It's, it's a powerful thing. I had some people, just uh, three different people in different ways contact me before this weekend service. said, Pastor, you're not going to believe it. These people are coming. You better be good. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, the pressure. Oh, Lord, just help me be good, whatever good is. But, you know, I love it when people are going, we're bringing people. We're excited about what God's doing. And that's where it starts is you just enter in to relationship with somebody. I believe you and I can have a staggering impact on the people around us if we're simply willing to take the steps. And I believe this, when we begin to simply walk across the room, the gates of hell will get staggered and the gates of heaven, the people in heaven will begin to rejoice and they'll begin to unfurl banners and they'll drop confetti in heaven and they'll put up the names of the people that we're talking to and they will stand up for us and they'll pray for us and they'll believe for us that the people that we say, God, Help me courageously speak here. It'll happen. And that, loved ones, turns my crank to see people walk and step across the line of faith. Now consider with me, 
What would happen if each one of us started thinking, just take a few steps across the room, across the street? Could we impact someone's eternal destiny? And then that person begins to impact their families and their friends that are facing a Christless eternity. Wow. See, if we believe this, would it be worth the risk of a few steps to begin to engage people? Not in religious dialogue, but in friendly conversation. In time, could we there? Now, I got to tell you, it doesn't always work out. I can tell you that. I'm going to tell you some examples in a minute that I told you about a few months ago. Not every conversation you have is going to lead to somebody coming to Christ. That's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to simply be open. Here's a quote from the book that a man should get every one of our attention. The day Christ followers like you and me stopped taking walks across rooms, the day we stayed glued to our circles of comfort, refused to enter the zone of the unknown, the day that Christ followers stopped doing that, it is lights out for the kingdom of God on earth. It is the beginning of the end of redemptive history, the slow defeat of the church, and I will say the slow death that we're seeing in the United States It will be the end of the dream and plan of Jesus Christ that people on earth would come to know him if we no longer are willing to move beyond our circle of comfort into the zone of the unknown. Friends, I believe God's top priority of his spirit that resides in our lives as Christ followers is to turn every single person in this room into a person who will walk across the room. Not some of us, not a few of us, but every one of us. He's asking us to be difference makers in the community that we live in. The places, the people that we walk with and run with every day. At our work, in our school, in our social settings. The gyms that we go exercise at. The kids sports events that we attend. Wherever. Whenever. If you've been a Christ follower... I want to challenge you. Do you wonder why you aren't rocketing ahead in your spiritual development and growth? Do you wonder why it's just kind of, huh, ho hum? Could it be that for too long you've settled into your circles of comfort and refused to take a glance toward those who are in the zone of the unknown? I mean, there are people that are lost headed for hell, and you don't even have anybody on your radar. I wonder if there is, maybe for some of us, that's the reason we're not growing. I had a grandchild back in October. If you look at my journal, I got these little pictures of him, and about probably four of them, and I started the new journal on December 31st. Got these little pictures of him, and I just write about him, and I'm kind of writing to him. Someday he may be able to read the journal. I write to him. I pray for him. You know what I'm doing? This has ramped up my life in a significant way. Where I want to be the godly grandfather that influences Isaac like my grandfather influenced me. So I'm doing, I'm changing some things in my life so that I am around for as long a haul as I can be because of the joy I have of my first grandchild. Now, that's the experience what new life brings to our lives.
Remember how exciting it is when you have a child, when your family has a child? That's the way it should be when our church births babies in Jesus. We are jacked. We are amped. We are ramped up. And it says, that's why we do this thing called church. It's not to just be little cubbyhole Christians that kind of get together and feel good and protect ourselves from the world, but we come to feel good and worship God so that when we leave today, guess what? We become powerful people of his presence out there where new life is birthed. And that gives us purpose for living and growing in Jesus. So what do we got to do? Well, we got to enter the zone of the unknown. But, but let me say this. There's more to it because unless you're responsive to the supernatural work of God in your life through the presence of his spirit, sometimes we can do more harm than good. Do you know what I mean? You ever seen people that just come on way too strong, quote too many scriptures, push Jesus a little too hard? That's not what we're going to do. That's not what works. So we want to listen for the Spirit's promptings. To be effective in the zone of the unknown, we must be led by God's Spirit. We must be open and listen for His promptings. Now, now understand how this works. I don't know about you, but I, I, I've heard a lot of conference guys, you know, and people on evangelism, they tell stories. They, everyone's got their great stories. Well, you know, I was traveling and I went to the ticket counter to get my ticket for to fly out and I led the ticket counter to the Lord. I was going through the security and, man, I... Had five minutes, and I led the security person. They were patting me down. I led them to the Lord. You know, and then I got on the plane. I led the, man, the flight attendant. Three minutes, talked to her. Oh, she fell down. Lord, we're flying. I'm trying to minister to everybody around me. And, oh, God, you wouldn't believe it, but as the plane lands, everybody comes to Jesus. Amen. And that's never happened to me. It's more like I've tried to really share my life with Christ with about 200 people, and I've probably led personally one-on-one maybe 25 or 30. I don't have any of those big stories. And sometimes we get intimidated by those stories, like everyone we talk to should, oh, man. Remember a few months ago when I told you my stories of how God was enlarging me to be open to this kind of stuff? Remember the people I told you, the gal I sat through next on the plane? See, <laughs> didn't work for me. She didn't come to Christ. She didn't start, she started crying, but she didn't start, oh, I need Jesus. Remember the one I told you about on vacation last year? I went into the Nike store. I was in Hawaii. I went to the Nike store, and I just felt like the Lord just say, he, as he walked toward me, you're, you're going to talk to this guy. So I said to him, remember, he, he liked my T-shirt that said love on it. And I said, hey, I'll send you some if you just go to this church of an acquaintance, a guy in down here that I know. And he didn't say yes or no, but I ended up, I sent him the, about a month later, I sent him the t-shirts. Well, that was in August and September. I never heard from him. And I told you, I'm a loser, you know, it didn't happen. But I did what God wanted me to do. Well, guess what? It was uh, the, uh, the second week of January. And I, and I put this in my journal because I, I, I'm asking the Lord, what do you want me to do now? He sent me a big box of candy from Hawaii and sent me some calendars from Hawaii. And he said, aloha, Mr. Riley. Quit bothering me. And No, no, just kidding. Just kidding. He said, he said, thank you so much for the shirts. My daughter, her name was Love, uh, turned one in October, but my wife really likes the shirts. Hope you had a great Christmas. All the best in 2010. Mahalo, Nui Loa, 
Al Arocha. And he sent me on a big uh, overnight thing. It was a, uh, a how Ali makalaki hiki who. I don't know Hawaiian, but I'm sure it's something good. Like, you're the most wonderful guy that, you know. <laughs> but now, but this is, but after I got this, because I want to hear the voice of the Lord. This is, this is what I wrote, kind of in tongue-in-cheek, but I said a package arrived from Hawaii yesterday, and it was from Al Arocha, the guy at the Nike store. And I uh, went on, and I said, uh, I'm going to pray to see if I should continue as a pen pal and witness to him. I just don't want him to feel like I'm stalking him. And, uh, and uh, so I am I'm praying, and I, and I feel like I've got to go from the Lord to continue the conversation uh, with him. See, that's the zone of the unknown. You never know what's going to happen. I thought I'd never hear from him again because it was almost seven months before. And then he writes me. And I feel like, okay, Lord, you're kind of, kind of giving me to go. See, that's what makes this thing so powerful, dynamic, and mystical. We're led to walk and to do. But if we don't walk and we don't take a chance, nothing happens. I never said anything about Jesus to him except I said, hey, would you just consider visiting this church? But the key is to live, friends, with openness and remember, it's not in our control what the ultimate responses are. It's God's work. We just got to respond and say, I'm going to live this, this cool adventure of being willing to walk. Now, Matthew 5, 13 through 16 says this, you are the salt of the earth. Jesus is talking in his big talk on the mountain. He says, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Jesus is talking to his followers, and he uses this whole thing of salt. And back in that day, it was extremely valuable. But how does salt lose its flavor and its savor, its power, its potency? Well, if you can see these, I got, I got three little salt shakers here. Now, let's say my journal is a steak. <laughs> this does not have any flavor or salt potency because it's over here, and it's salt over here in their little group. So what's got to happen for it to be potent? It's got to go come over here and it has to be shaken out. It has to have proximity to whatever it is going to powerfully impact. If we're the salt of the earth, uh, that's what we got to do, isn't it? But sometimes the church gets so comfortable over it. Let's just kind of stay with all the salt people. (laughs) And we forget. No, I want you in proximity to people who are distant from God. Okay. Now, by now, I know that some of you are pushing back pretty hard on me. It's on some of your faces. You're thinking, I understand what you're, what you're saying here, Terry, but I don't believe I need to be a part of this. And that's for the professionals like you. That's for the guys that know a lot about the Bible. That's for the people that have a great spiritual aptitude and, and the confidence, the boldness to pull it off. If you're in that camp, I want to just say, I assure you I'm very sympathetic to your concerns. I've been there. I've had to work through that. I know it's tough, and it is really risky. If you're, I don't like rejection. 
I, I didn't grow up with a lot of acceptance and affirmation. So for me to get rejected, it's really hard. But I, but I say, you know what? If I've received the greatest gift, it's going to be worth a little bit of rejection. That's why I've focused on becoming more intentional of being a salty person that moves closer to those who are distant from God. Yes, there's anxiety. Yes, there's nervousness and fear as you prepare to enter the zone of the unknown. But, oh, God, that is what we're called to do. Here's the reality that I'm learning. When I'm relating with Jesus Christ, when my heart is open and there's a vitality and openness in my spirit and in your spirits to what God is prompting, guess what? As you commit yourself to being salt in your world, as you commit yourself to get into proximity to people who need grace, as you listen to the Spirit's promptings, guess what? You'll make a difference. It is here that you can make the decision to say, Lord, just speak to me. Prompt my spirit. But you have to be willing. You have to be open. You have to go into situations and say, Lord, are you speaking to me? And in your spirit, in your soul, there'll be something you'll hear in your mind. Yeah, see that person over there? But if you don't go into a situation like that, it won't happen. God will speak to you. As Christ followers, we've got to take the walk across the room to explore the zone of the unknown, to break the ice with initial conversations with people whose eternities hang in the balance. And they don't know how it's all going to turn out. They wonder what happens after this life. God places you and me, friends, to be there. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You live for this stuff. You go, this is cool, Pastor. Go for it. Because you've seen people who have received the gift. You've been able to share the gift and see people respond. And you're like me. I don't want to just do church with the same old people. I want new life. I want babies. See, for others of you, those foreign territory, you've never given serious thought to this. My hope and prayer, loved ones, through this in the next few weeks is that you'll discover this isn't about getting some group of church people to march around and do this, but that we learn to live in harmony with God's Spirit and to be open to the people around us. This is something we can all do, loved ones. Something every person in this congregation can begin to grow in and do. Well, well, so if we want to make sure why we're doing this, what is the ultimate purpose for why? Well, you've got to do this. It's just, just do it. Just walk. Every one of us has to make that decision, and this is the why. Take your notes out there if you would. <clears throat> it says this in Romans 5, 8. Would you read this verse with me? One, two, three. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Can we do that just a little bit better? Ramp it up, okay? I mean, this this scripture is it. Come on, let's 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 kick it out a little bit. Here we go. One, two, three. Let me lead you. Now, okay, good. At least you're ready. One, two, three. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this: while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now I'm going to push the pause button here for just a moment. Because I've been reflecting on what this means for me as I go out and 
what God's done for me. And you're going to receive a gift, a wrapped present and gift this morning from us. And I thought, wow, what could I do? But I'm going to tell you about some significant people in my before Christ years that influenced my journey to Christ. And after I come to Jesus, this, this psalm that... Uh, Psalm 34, 8, it says this, open your mouth, taste and see that the Lord is good. That becomes so real to me because I was a kid that come from a junked up family with a junked up life who needed love and acceptance and forgiveness and someone to blow wind into the sails of their life. And these men did it. And once that happened, I just started to taste the goodness of the Lord, the gift of God, when it bowled me over with his grace. And I just began to understand an inkling of how much God loves me because of these men. So I want you to receive this gift and just quietly open it up. And maybe you want to reflect back and taste and remember the goodness of God when you first came to him. Because that's what this is all about. Sharing the greatest gift of life These guys were instrumental in coming to me. I was a teenager. My mom and dad were about ready to lose their marriage. So somehow God brought them to a church, Portland First Church in Portland, Oregon. My dad, I wasn't ready to go to church, believe me, because I hadn't gone for years, but my dad made me go. And I want to tell you, the first Sundays that I went there, for the whole time I went, there was a man who once he learned who I was, for whatever reason, I don't know, but this man, his name was Alvy Yates. He would track me down like a bloodhound. It was almost as if as soon as I drove on to the parking lot of that church, he would be very close, somewhere in the foyer, to meet me. And you know what he'd do? He'd come toward me, just kind of a loose gait, and he'd, he'd have this big smile, and so good to see you, Terry. And he'd throw his arms around me in a bear hug. I was a teenager. <laughs> That was not cool because my dad never hugged me. But Alvy would just grab me and hold on and, oh, I love you, and, and just hold me. There was never a time that I went to that church that he was there that he didn't come after me and hug me, tell me that he loved me. And then he'd do things like this. I hated tennis, but he'd take me to play tennis, and he'd beat me. The guy was 110, but he was, you know, <clears throat> he, would, he, would, he, would, he would spend time with me. And I got to tell you something, you know what I learned from Alvy? Is that you can be a strong man of God and still show incredible love and affection to other people. That's what he did. He impacted my life. He did that probably for two years. Well, during that same time, there was another guy in the church. His name was Ron Snyder. He was the youth pastor there. He was home on furlough from being a missionary from Africa. I wasn't even dialed in. I was going to church on Sunday because my dad made me. But Ron would travel a good distance. In my senior year of high school, I played varsity basketball, and he would travel to come see me. I'd be sitting there in the bleachers before the game, and he'd come up, and I'd be sitting with my girlfriend and the team. And he'd come up there and go, Hey, Terry, how you doing? I just wanted to come see you play. And I'm like, Oh, my goodness. Because as soon as he left, he said, Hey, who's that? Who's that? Oh, just some guy's name's Ron. But he'd come and watch my games. Wasn't even going to his youth group. Then after the basketball season ended, he started calling me. He says, Terry, listen. Because he was a really good basketball player. He says, I'll tell you what, I've got a key to a junior high over here in Milwaukee. 
would you meet me there at six in the morning so we can play together? I said, sure, I was always up for a game. You know what? Neither one of these guys, neither Alvy nor Ron, they didn't preach at me. They simply shared life with me. We'd go in the morning, we'd play basketball. He didn't talk to me about Jesus. He just talked to me about spiritual life and, and where was I going with my life? What was I going to do with it? What mattered to me? All the time, we were just shooting around, playing basketball. And this went on for a number of months. I wasn't even going to his church. I mean, his youth group. But these guys literally loved me into a relationship with Jesus. The last one was Mike Nichols. And he came uh, to the church after I'd become a Christ follower. I'd made a commitment to Christ because these guys had such an impact and influence on me. And he came, and as a youth pastor, he just loved hanging out with me. And he'd sit there and take me. We'd go play pinball and baseball pinball, and we'd play basketball in the gym there and compete like crazy. And he just continually blew wind in my sails too and says, you know, Terry, there's a lot of potential in you. Well, it was in probably, I think it was 1977. Ron and his wife were going back to Africa uh, to be missionaries for a season. And because of the relationship that we now had, they called me and said, Terry, would you come over and just help us pack some barrels, spend some time with us before we go? So I said, sure, Ron. So I, I went over there, and Ron and his wife, Jereen, were standing around this big barrel. We'd been packing for a couple hours, and they stopped. They looked at me in the eye. They had this big, ugly blanket. And it was so ugly, Trina wouldn't let me put it out. It was that bad, but it was ugly. But, but, but they held it, and as they, they looked at me in the eye, and they said, God's got something for you, Terry. And we believe that in a year, you're going to be in Bible college. And I'm thinking, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. Because I was going to junior college. I was majoring in history. I wanted my ultimate goal was to become a college basketball coach. And so I just kind of smiled. Yeah, I took the blanket. They prayed over me. I left. They went to Africa. A year later, guess where I was? I was in Bible college. Three men took a walk across a room to embrace this scrawny, goofball kid who knew nothing about anything or where he was going, and they literally deposited their life into mine. They were incredible gifts to me. They helped me see, to taste and see, the goodness of God. They went to great lengths to demonstrate that God loved me before I ever deserved it. So how does Jesus prove this to you and me? How does he prove this? Maybe how does he, how does he ultimately prove it to you and me of his redemptive love, his grace-filled, unconditional love for each of us? Think about it, friends. He took a walk for you and me. You'll see there in Philippians 2 your, on your notes. It talks about how Jesus he said, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to try and rise up here and be the greatest. I'm going to submit to my Father's will. And guess what? He said, I'm going to come to earth as a man. He says he humbled himself. Why? So that he could be obedient and die on the cross. For who? For you and me. While we were yet sinners. He came in a specific time, a specific place, in the space-time continuum of our life and our earth. And because of that one walk, humanity was able to be saved and secured into the family of God 
forever. Now think about that walk. The passage there in Philippians says, Jesus, under direction and the agreement of his Father, left the ultimate circle. No, no, no. The ultimate triangle. The Trinity. He left the perfect communion of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He left the perfect place, heaven, where he experienced the adoration and worship of angelic beings. And in terms of the metaphor of walking, he took the longest walk anybody's ever taken in eternity and in infinity. infinity. Why? Well, uh, last week I was reading, if you're reading through the Bible with us, you would have read Psalm 8. I was, I'm, not, I'm not really a psalmist person, but I was greatly moved by this psalm as I read it. It said, talked about God's glory being above the heavens. Now, you know the universe is large and in charge, don't you? And, I mean, it's big. The distance between the sun and our earth is 93 million miles. If that was represented by the thickness of one sheet of paper, you would need a stack of paper 71 feet high to represent the distance between the earth and the nearest star, Alpha Centauri. Now, if you want to represent the distance just between the earth and the edge of the Milky Way galaxy one of many galaxies, you would need a stack of paper 310 miles high. And the psalmist David writes, and he says, God, your glory goes beyond that. I mean, it's way out there. And then in verses 3 and 4, I love this. It says, he's writing, he says, when I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, what is a man that thou is mindful of him? He's way out there, but he's mindful of us. That's why he came. This is what I wrote. God's greatest work took more than his fingers. He created everything with his fingers. But his greatest work took more than his fingers and his word that upholds everything. It took his arms. His arms being outstretched and embracing and stretched out and nailed to the cross for the sins of my life. Creation was small potatoes compared to the recreation and redemption that was needed for Terry. Why? Because God is mindful of us and he cares for me. The ultimate walk across the room, loved ones, was by Jesus Christ for you and for me. He saved me from incredible, serious life wreckage. And some of you sitting here today can say the same thing. We're all in the same boat together. I don't care how good you are. We all need a Savior to move us into eternity with Jesus Christ. He not only did this walk for you, but he did it for me. His whole life then while he was on this earth became little walks. A walk across a well to a woman in Samaria. He broke down gender, racial prejudice and said, I'm going to give you living water. Luke chapter 19, he walked across the city to meet Zacchaeus who was hiding up in a tree that just wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus walked to him and said, come on down, boy, we're going to go do this together. And you just go through all the stories. Jesus walked into people's lives and he calls you and me to do that today. Are you ready to start taking some walks? Because God says, I want you to go across the room. That's what we're going to do, loved ones. Do you bow your heads with me as the worship team comes?
I just want to leave you today with this challenge. Two things. Have you embraced the one who stretched his arms for you to embrace you? The one that took the ultimate walk for your life. Have you welcomed him into your life? You can do that today. Just simply say, Jesus, thank you that you love me enough that while I was a wrecked sinner, you came to die for me. I want to receive you today. And I'm going to ask you, put that on your connections card. Just check the box. Maybe some of you need to recommit. You've been kind of out there just walking around on your own, but you need the power of God to come and be with you. Okay, check that I'm going to recommit today. Maybe some of you say, you know something, Pastor, for too long, I just haven't had anybody on my radar that's far from God. Today I commit to begin to look and to pray and to be responsive to what God says. Not to download a bunch of spiritual talk on them, but just to talk about life. Maybe you want to note that on your program, on your connections card. Take a moment there, just in the, in, in the bubble and space of where you are. Say, Lord, this is what I'm going to do today. I'm not just going to hear this. I'm going to move on it. Lord Jesus, we come and, oh God, we're so thankful that you would take the time in eternity, in time past, to take the biggest walk to give your life for us. We thank you today, Lord, that you would bring people into our lives to speak to us. And so I pray, Lord, that during this next week we would reflect on that to be able to, again, just taste and see how good you are, how good you've been to us. And Lord, open our hearts, enlarge our lives to see people. Get them on our radar, those who are far from you. Pray for that today in Jesus' name. Amen.